Welcome to the Dead Elephants podcast featuring Duncan and Chris. Looks like it's time to tackle another elephant in the room. Welcome back, Dead Elephants. Dead, dead, <laughs> Welcome dead to Dead Elephants. Elephants podcast. Dun- Duncan is a radio professional. Ah, uh, yes. Welcome to Dead Heffalumps. <laughs> Are you dying on air now? Yeah, maybe. Do you maybe. get it? Are you dying on air? Do yeah, you get I it? Do you get it? it? Do you get it? I see what you're doing. Yeah. I see what you're doing. We've talked about death for people. Now we're talking about death for churches. So conversation around the idea, declining numbers within the church, dying yes. churches. I think predominantly this is kind of a, a Western first world European, North American, Australian kind of it context. It seems like it. I mean, I'm not on the ground, but it sounds like there's revivals in Asia and Africa, particularly some parts of South America. Yeah. That's it's, that's certainly the narrative that I hear. Whether or not it's true, I don't know because I haven't been to those places. Okay. But yeah, the, the, the post-Christendom phenomena and what it means for our individual churches that will experience atrophy, stagnation, and for some eventually a slow and painful death. Yes. Okay. So pretty heavy, big topic. Yes. We've actually been discussing this a lot as a network. Uh-huh. Um, and so kind of fascinated to see where this goes today. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess it is an elephant, right? To the point of this this podcast. I think it, it does take a little bit of time to glean, but before long, you do start to get a sense of momentum or lack of momentum. Yep. And I think that's one of the things we, that's one of the paradigms is it can't just be about uh, the actual number in the church, mm-hmm. but I think the trajectory of the church is an important piece of this because you could have a church of 2,000 people that had 3,000 last year, or you could have a church of 50 that had 30 last year, and there's a different story that's happening within that. Um, sure. But I think for the sake of this, we're, we're talking more about if you're in a church, whether as a member or as a pastor, that is that is struggling for viability, yes. let's call it, how do you navigate that well and what do you do about it? Yes. So I, I think I agree. I, I think on the, on, the, on the notion of viability, there is a certain point where if you have steadily decreased to a size, it's probably healthy for you to close the doors rather than trying to exist. Mm-hmm. I'll say that. Um, but I also agree with your statement. If you go from a church of 3000 to a church of 2000, there's probably a variety of different reasons why that might've happened. And you probably don't need to close the doors just yet. But I think you do need to, uh, read the signs and be on Like this is, this is what the Southern Baptists are going through on mass in the U S yeah. like super healthy membership numbers still, but relative to where they were 10, 15 years ago, it's not looking great. Yeah. So at what point do you... Uh, I guess, inflect that, (laughs) make sense of it, draw conclusions from it and respond accordingly. I guess whether it's a small church or a big church or a small movement or a big movement, it's just very easy in Christian environments to be nice and pleasant and smile our way into trouble without having hard, necessary conversations. Yeah, because there's KPIs have not existed forever. Okay. Yeah, that's one of the challenges. You're right. Pa- pa- pastors don't have KPIs, really. Yep. And then like, you, my North American brothers would go, that's why your church is <laughs> Um And I'll go, that's why you've got egotistical leaders who fail at the top. 
Sure. Pick, so, pick your poison. Yeah, right. yeah, right. Like, so on some level, it's good to have some kind of KPIs to help drive you. And on another side, too many KPIs that feel too corporate is really unhealthy as well. And yep. so there's this weird nuance within church where you are trying to create a movement of people uh, surrendered at the feet of Jesus. But at some stage that institutionalizes on some level. Like I was talking on Sunday about the, the other five sacraments. So typically within a Protestant church, you've got baptism and communion, Mm -hmm. some version of that. And then there's five other within the Catholic tradition. Yeah. There's five other sacraments that we don't really talk about. And one of those is holy order, holy orders or ordination. And from the very earliest days of the church, you see appointments of apostles and carers and evangelists and teachers. And there, there are these ordinances put in place. So a church is not this loose gathering of people that have their own private faith that there is system and structure to what is trying to be instituted as the bride of Christ. And that then that formation of whatever that entity is, is slowly over time progressed to what our modern version of church is. And trying to unpack that and why it's declining is going to be pretty challenging. It's huge. It's it's organizational, it's theological, it's strategic, it's like, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about KPIs is right because it's, on the one hand, to use one of the sacraments, baptisms have to matter. Oh, I was really hoping you are going to use extreme unction, but that's okay. <laughs> Sorry. Last, last rites? Last rites. Last rites, are we going happen. there? Okay, all right. All right. Um, extreme unction, what a, what a phrase. Anyway, um, I actually can't remember what it is. I remember looking at it in college. Oh, well, the, uh, no, I, I just spoke on it. Don't there. worry about All it. Right. Um, Listen to my sermon on, <laughs> on Northgate website, northgate.org.au. Wow. Um, baptisms have to matter. Yes. Like if there's no baptisms happening in a church, you've got to ask some questions, right? On the other hand, you can't just look at baptisms as fruitfulness and faithfulness. So the, the question yeah. of the KPI in ministry is right. At least what I've seen in churches, and I'd be interested to hear what you would say about this, I think because KPIs are difficult to establish and they're often abstract, what tends to happen is that it's easy to play the blame game. So to bring in another paradigm here, if your church is struggling, on the one hand, you've got the the paradigm of God's sovereignty and God's will. Mm Mm-hmm. On the other hand, you've got the paradigm of human responsibility and stewardship of leaders. Sure. And I think when you overplay one at the expense of the other, you get into trouble. If you overplay God's will and sovereignty, then it's never your fault. Yeah. If you overplay stewardship, then it's always your fault and you start functionally trying to sit on the throne that only Yahweh can. And I think somewhere between there, there has to be a healthy balance that says, hey, if we're not baptizing people... Yes, on the one hand, God will bring into the kingdom who he will bring. Yeah. On the other hand, we have to ask ourselves, is there something we're doing or not doing that's not engaging people? Yeah. And again, personally, I see the theology card being played too easily in our declining churches or even the culture card to say, oh, we're post-Christian. This is a tough time to be ministry. It is. It is tough. Yeah. There's no doubt. But 
it's easy to be in denial and point the finger at those things rather than going, actually, I'm just not hitting the mark in this ministry that God has entrusted to me. And maybe one of the reasons this church is struggling is because I'm not stewarding it very well as a pastor. Gosh, you piss me off. Um, Tell me. You, well, one, that analogy is way better than how I describe it. So I, I say that we're holding a coin. Okay. And the coin is pointed towards the this sun. This analogy sucks. Yeah, I know. But yours, that's because yours is better. Yeah, I know. And I'm holding the coin. It's pointing towards the sun. And on the top of the coin is all the good stuff about church. Mm-hmm. It's just a, a group of passionate believers who are pursuing Jesus to the fully, fullest. But on the underside of the coin is occupational health and safety, <laughs> logistics, yep. support, structures, all that, all that stuff. And when a church gets more obsessed about the underside of the mm. coin than the top side of the coin, it starts to decline. Mm. But the, the inverse is true as well. If we obsess about the top of the coin and don't have any of that in place, it all falls apart as well. We, we, we've got to hold both intention. Yep. I think it's a great analogy, dude. Yeah, I like yours better. Yeah. It's just there's more sovereignty and goodness <laughs> in it. Yeah. Um, that's, that is the nuance and challenge of the church. The the additional part of that is there's less people who want to lead yep. a movement like that. It's now far more difficult to be a pastor um, in terms of requirements, professional practices. Um, the royal inquest looms mm. over every church. Uh, for the next seven years, which at some stage might cost you $160,000. And I think for a lot of people who are considering the whole narrative of ministry, Mm. it just makes it a very challenging place to function. And so... Did you say unction? Function. Okay. Function. Extreme function. Extreme. Mate, there's (laughs) some unction in your function. Uh Sorry, I I I uh, distracted you. Okay, so so let's get into it a bit. Can yeah. I tell a little bit of my story? Well, actually, before yes, no? you can. Okay, okay. all right. <laughs> you need it. You need it. Not, not just... yet, dude. Okay. Not yet. Yeah, it's fine. I do just want to say, as someone who's both been a church member and a church pastor, what Duncan is talking about there on the pastoral side is real, and so I just want to say on behalf of pastors to other lay because I'm kind of now a layperson in a way. Yeah. Um, it's hard, and there are a lot of hats that you have to wear. That often don't get seen. Yeah. What most people will see is the Sunday service. And you've said in previous episodes, that's kind of the high point of the week. Mate, but Super Bowl Sunday. But Super Bowl Sunday. But in and amongst that is a lot of bureaucracy, a lot of admin. There, there are always too many hats to wear. And it's very easy to overly obsess about the wrong hats because they're kind of being put over your desk. So on yeah. the one hand, I, I want to say keep... Keep looking at your baptisms, your salvations, your your guests coming, you know, your your whatever. Um, don't lose sight of that. And at the same time, just recognize that there is a lot of other stuff that the modern day pastor has to navigate to as part of their role. I feel I feel like we should have like telltale signs that your church is in decline. Mm. So like if you've got a multitude of laminated signs stuck <laughs> everywhere, your church is in decline. If you if you haven't had a baptism in the last three years, mm. your church is in decline. Mm. If the story of evangelism from your senior pastor is at least five years old, your church is in decline. Yeah, like 
if you have a flower lady at your church and she holds the keys to the church, your church is in decline. <laughs> if you've serviced your organs <laughs> regularly and you have organ recitals, your church is in decline. Um, I don't know. I feel like there's, there's a whole thing on that. It's good. Um, I feel like you could have just taken that monologue. We're going to put like dubstep over it and turn <laughs> yeah. it into like a YouTube viral video. <laughs> if you have it's an like, get, get individual named Dolores, <laughs> your church is in decline. And or Consuela. <laughs> oh, Consuela. <laughs> Names that you've, yeah. you've cited before. <laughs> All right. Tell us, listen, you've, you've got a bit more skin in the game here than me. You have, you've mentioned before in an episode that I, th I think you called it, you, you stared the lion in its face, namely being the fact that you have pastored a church that had to close. Sure. Well, yeah. So uh, it, it's an up-down story, roller coaster. So I came out of an extraordinary church in the States called Church of Celebration. And we were, we were in the States during the global financial crisis in the second worst town in all of America to be hit by the property crisis. So home prices dropped by 90% mm. and people lost everything. And the ability to share the love of Jesus into a community that was profoundly broken was incredible. And so we just saw people coming to know Jesus constantly. Like I think our, the first baptism I was there for was 20 people. The next week was 60 people. The week after that was 120 people all conversion baptisms. Mm. These are people who have never professed a love for Jesus, falling on their knees and worshipping Jesus. So I had five years of just this extraordinary move of God and felt like God called me home to plant a church where I live now. And so in 2013, re returned home, set up a church called Mission Church just here in the local community, put out flyers, letterbox dropped, social media ad campaign. And on our first meeting at our house that you're at now, we had two people show up, mm. friends. And for about 11 months, we swelled to a grand size of about four people. Mm. And our last Sunday, we rented a hall. And five people showed up for it and we hired City of Light to play in it, an acoustic gig to five people. I'd hope so with five people. Yeah, it was great. Um, and then we laid that baby to rest. Mm. And it was really clear a number of things. So I, I wrote as kind of an act of catharsis, mm -hmm. um, you know, 18 reasons why the church failed. And there was a whole bunch of different ones, but, you know, some of them were, we just weren't connecting with the community. Um, we just weren't seeing um, a new expression of Jesus that was impacting our community in a way that was real and transformative. And there was just like, you know, that sitting alongside of, we were running out of cash. We were running out of resources and just about every denomination didn't want to have a part of it. So mm. we were just by ourselves. And I had, you know, North American pastors like, why don't you have 150 people by now? Mm. This is ridiculous. Like we've trained you to do this. This doesn't make any sense. 
And, and, you know, the way that you used to plant where I was in Phoenix is that you'd say we're going to plant a church in Phoenix and then you go on a speaking gig of all the other mega churches and invite them to come and partner with you. And you speak to a room of 5,000 people and maybe 120 people come along for a journey. So your first Sunday, you're 500 people. Yeah. You're in like Australian standards. Like if I <laughs> launched and I had 500 people show up yeah. on the first Sunday, you'd be like, you're cooking. Like, when are you going on speaking to her about church planning? It's like, so you come back and you're like, you got three people and you're try, trying, you have like, you have a thousand coffees and a thousand interactions. And you just realize this is not working. And so you have to say goodbye to it. Mm. And it's not that bad because well, it wasn't yours. Well, like, okay. All right. But first of all, before you get to that, it's not that bad. Thank you for sharing. Secondly, like, my heart's not bleeding. That's not the right. I just, it's just a really hard reality. And I just want to feel that with you for a second. I know you've processed it and you've, you know, you've had your catharsis as you say, but man, that, that would have been tough. Yeah. Listen, it sucked. Yeah. I had, I had, yeah, I, I had some great job offers in the States mm. that I could have. And you, on the worst nights you go, should have stuck around. Yeah. Um, but that prepared me to take on a church in transition almost 10 years later, which is the job I'm in now, yep. and steward a community through an incredibly challenging season of a, of a pastor departing and a whole bunch of other funk that we had to work through through COVID mm. that I felt like, well, oh, if I'd championed, you know, a stillborn church, this doesn't feel sure as hard yeah i mean it was it was traumatic but that's a it's a different kind of trauma well i think the interesting thing about asking you in particular is that and one of the reasons i i value you and appreciate you is you're thoroughly christian with a with a christian heart and at the same time you're not backwards in coming forwards which is rare at sure. least in australia so your journey like is it was it your fault was it god's fault like call it how it is what are your reflections on being part of that and yeah, call it call the elephant out or don't call it out. You're the one to speak into this, I think. Yeah, so I, I got to a place after 11 months where the church up the road, which is the church I'm at now, was doing the very things that I wanted to do. And I really felt like God being like, yeah, this is not the church I'm calling you to be a part of. This other thing is the church that I'm calling you to be a part of. And so all the things that I wanted to see in a church were happening literally up the road. And that pastor was willing to meet with me, pray with me, encourage me, allow them, allow us to move into that space because it was free, you know, run it in the afternoon, whatever you want to do, just come and try it up here. And so that for me was, oh, I'm not meant to do this thing. I'm meant to be a part of this thing. And I think that was part of a learning experience as well. Is that you, you're like, you're like sometimes you get these like arrogant church planters who go into a community and plant the exact same church. Yep. That's five seconds up the road. And you're like, oh, it's ordained by God that I should be here. It's like, is it? Yep. And God took me on this whole journey where he's like, mate, your, the church that you are talking about is right there and your ego needs to get out of the mm. way and say that's the place I need to be. Yeah. And so like I think you know it sometimes too. It's like, it's like an intrinsic feeling. You walk into a place and you go, God's at work here. 
I can feel it. I just feel it in my bones that God is doing something awesome here. And then you walk into other place and you're like, I don't know if I'm feeling it. And then you start to unpack stuff, right? There's like friction and there's dissension with other churches. And I just know how to do this best. And there's a real ego sitting in the room like yep. this. What I'm doing, mate, is the right thing. And you're like, oh, is it? Yeah. But this there's 11 churches in our community. I don't know, six of them are in various states of freefall and decline and flirting with closing. And some of them have toxic leadership issues. Um, like, is God's hand in all of that? Mm. Probably. Mm. Is it pretty? No. Is it? Is it the way God intended it to be? For sure, no, but like, I don't think God's like, I don't think God's like, oh gosh, I don't know how to revive this thing and make it <laughs> like, do you know? Like, okay, well, let's ask, okay, you're right, He does know how to revive things. God wins in the end. I've seen the end of the book, we know this. Okay, so the question then becomes, when, as part of that umbrella plan, when does my church need to shut? So, I want to ask you that on two levels okay. as, as a pastor. When is it time? But also I want to spend a reasonable amount of time. We've spoken from a from a leadership point of view. If you're just if you're a member of the church and you're really struggling with what you're seeing around you, how do you have those conversations yourself? So let's start with the first one. Like Well, why don't we make this a two parter? Go on. Let, let's do when is the right time for me to leave a church? Yep. And we'll do that next week. So yep. we'll make that a two-part. Well, seeing as you're going on this dovetail, uh, shameless plug, what we want to do, and we're going to begin to wrap up this season of Dead Elephants. Next season, what we want to do is have a few kind of docu-series style formats where we actually unpack one issue, hopefully with a guest here and there for a couple of weeks in a row yep. and going a little bit deeper. So this is a bit of pilot of that where I guess you'd call it the the struggling Christianity docu-series. Uh, one is through the prism of struggling churches and then one is through this, the prism of when am I struggling as a member and when is it time for me to go and what are the right reasons and what are the right conversations. So, okay. Yes. So let's do, let's do that second part personal sure. next week. Let's okay. do first part is like, let's look at the institution and say, what, what are some signs? Yeah. Okay. So uh, when's it time to shut up shop? Um, Viability. Mm -hmm. We never got above about five or yep, six which people. Which was your situation church. with Mission Church. Viability was really important. That actually sat a lot on kind of financial input and capacities and what does this look like? Should I go bivocational? The way that I planted initially did not have a precedence for bivocational. We want you in this doing it full time. So I think that bivocational nature actually helps you out a lot. Mm -hmm. So my pushback these days would be it's actually pretty good for you to be bivocational. You get a sense of the people in your community. You're working within the context of that community. You understand the pressures and the time constraints. That may m mean that you can't be a full-time pastor, but you, you have now lengthened the time and the strain on resources has been reduced. Yep. Because you're bivocational. Yep. So that would be one thing that I would push back on pretty strongly against a person who says, no, no, full-time church planner. Um, there's community connection and that plays a really big part. So for a new church to 
connect with its community takes a long period of time. So um, C3 actually does this really well. They just start with community meals. Mm -hmm. So they don't even launch a church for ages, like six, 12 months, just have meals with people in the community. It's all about building relationship. There's genius to that. Mm -hmm. And we didn't do that. We just opened doors on a Sunday, come to my house, we're doing church. And that was like super abrasive for 11 other churches in the community because that's the other thing is that there are faithful shepherds, whether or not you believe it, in that community who are also also trying to tend to those people. Like some of them are stupid. Like I sat down with one guy who bought out like um, parish boundaries <laughs> and wanted to tell me where I, where I can't evangelize. Yeah. I've never had this experience in my life. And so I was like, how many of your parishioners live here? And he's like six. And I'm like, great, I'll have them in my church. And it was like, you just had a meltdown. I'm like, but you just showed me parish boundaries and people exist outside of your parish boundaries and come to your church. Like, yep. stop this. This is nonsense. So I think you have like, if you've got any degree of like now, so you have an understanding that some people are just old school and doing stupid sure. stuff. But there are other people within that community. Like I, I remember Mark Kelsey, who's no longer at C3, used to meet with me and pray with me mm. once a month. Mm. And there was one time I got there and his uh, assistant welcomed me in, sat me down. He said, he's, he's just coming in from the airport now. He's been away on a, like a two-week church planning mission. Mark Kelsey sat in my – I sat in his office. Mark came in. We prayed for 45 minutes, had a great conversation. And then he said, brother, I've just got to kick on to the next thing. He walked out of that meeting into a meeting with Phil Pringle and a mm. bunch of the other guys from C3 about international church planning policy mm. and structure. And I, it's beautiful. I was like, I've never seen humility like that. Mm. It's just beautiful. Um, Paul Ravistein at the church I'm at now did the same thing. He says, Man, brother, come in, let's pray. Mm. How can we do this? How can we support you? There's there's people like that within the community. And I think some of your times you need to be sensitive to that. Like, is the thing I'm doing the exact same thing as what's going on here? Well, can I ask, this is one of my questions. If you look at it from a business perspective, what you're really talking about is rationalization, mergers and acquisitions. Sure. Like, tell me if I'm being, well, I know part of this is naivety because we've got denominational lines and try whatever, but- I don't know. I just look around. Like when you say there's 11 churches in my areas and six of them are in free fall, mm-hmm. my instinctive gut just says, merge those bad boys. You've got buckets of cash of assets between those six communities and think about what you could do together yep. that would be better than apart. Now, I realize it's not that simple. I get it. But man, that's got to at least be a conversation, right? Yeah. So, But at some stage, you've moved beyond a movement to an institution to a museum and now you're a mausoleum. Yeah. So if I if I went into any of those churches mm. who are who are kind of kissing the gates of death, um really indentured leadership mm-hmm. who have been there for centuries, um really, really clear views of what church should look like mm. that are clearly not in touch with how a church should reach community today. Um and really deep understanding of how to screw with the system to ensure that none of that changes. (laughs) Yeah. Right? They know how to play. Some pastors are good bureaucrats. Not everyone, but but some. Well, I'm not even talking about pastors. Oftentimes by the time you get to this stage, there isn't a pastor in that church. 
and so you've what you've got is just this indentured community that don't want to see anything change and so they're frozen which is comes back to my point if there's too many laminated signs mm. or flipping plaques mm. Mate, if you start erecting plaques, you need to stop, fall on your knees and pray to Jesus <laughs> for forgiveness. Um, one name that might be helpful if anyone's interest is peaked here, uh, Gary McIntosh is a US-based guy. He does church growth theory and surveys. I went to a conference that he ran once and uh, he ta- he's not the only one that has coined this phrase, but if you can just visualize over audio with me, uh, there's this idea called the Uluru model. Mm-hmm. If you picture what Uluru looks like, uh, Uluru goes up, then it plateaus, and then it goes down. And he says, uh, and he's not the only one, once you plateau, which you will, yep, that's your inflection point and that's your choice point. If you inherently do the same thing and you're comfortable with the plateau, then the eventual destination is the decline back down the other side. It may be slow, it may be intangible for a long time, but it will eventually happen. Yeah. He says what what healthy churches do they go through a period of growth, they plateau, and at the plateau, they are they have real, honest conversations about what's going into the plateau, and there's a recognition that what got you to that point is not always what's going to get you to the next point. Absolutely. Challenge being, often you've got uh, churches who love what got you to that point, and when you come and say, now we're pivoting in a different way in order to reach the next group of people, there is a grief there. And so it comes down to communication and vision and empathy and understanding. It's hard. It's easier just to maintain the status quo. But Macintosh's argument is once you do that, you're only going to head one way. And I, and I think I agree with that. And I think I've seen that. Um, what you do, yeah, you have an upwards trajectory, you have a slight flat line, and then you have an up pick, up tick again. But it can be uncomfortable to get there. Um, I also wonder, you, you know, you've mentioned the US versus Australia Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we have the challenge in Australia of we're much more British in our mentality than we are American. Sure. Yeah. And with that, there is a resistance to reaching a certain size or a point. There's a bit of tall poppy syndrome. Yeah. Yes, our more Pentecostal charismatic churches have done it. I would they, They're slightly more North American in their flavor. Um, so it obviously does work in Australia, but I also know that there is external culture that is resistant to winning too much sure yeah, uh, yeah and yeah. i think that's just one of the challenges that we face here as well yeah um i think the attitude of tall poppy syndrome in australia is garbage water i agree and we need to move away from yep, that i, I think agree. we need to figure out a way that we can just champion people who are successful and i don't think we know how to do that well uh there's plenty of great church planning movements out of the state i think we had a guy rick thorpe out recently um, who's part of the Holy Trinity Brompton. Okay. That's the UK, not the US. Oh, sorry, UK. Yep. UK are doing a bunch of good stuff. Yeah. So and that's if if we're talking about that, so HTB is where Nikki Gumble and Alpha have come out of. Yeah. And and a really incredible church planning movement yep. as well. So um you hear Rick's heart and he's got a he's got a very he's um so, so American, North Americans, uh, sorry, I should say United States of America, because I don't think Canadians function like this, but um, USA guys have an assuredness and a confidence with the way that they put forward ideas on stuff. Yes. That's cultural. Mm. It's not arrogance. Mm. So when, when, a, when, a North, when a US pastor is telling you what 
worked in his church. He's just telling you what worked in his church. He's, they care about communication. They care about a whole bunch of different things like cadence and vocabulary and how I'm saying stuff. And so there's a beauty and an art form to that communication. Yep. When you listen to a UK pastor who's going through it, it's like super humble and contrite uh, and there's a stiff upper lipness to it. And that's a cultural thing too. Yep. And it's not – they're just – they're speaking from a different voice. Yep. And they're speaking from very different contexts. And so you're right. The voice that we typically listen to is a North American voice, but our churches are much more at home with an English yep. framework. But they just don't speak the way we like. Yep. And so I think it's just kind of learning the ability to say, is is what I'm hearing a cultural thing? Yes. Or is it a ego thing? I think most of the time it's probably cultural. Or is it, and I'll dovetail here, is it a, is it a God thing? Like I yeah. think there's overlap here with our episode on the Holy Spirit. And I, whether your church, whether you've received vision from God to take the church in a certain direction, or whether you've received confirmation that, Maybe it's time to shut up shop. I think, I, I do believe strongly that there is a correlation with churches who are open to the spirit and churches that are growing, not just in numbers, but also spiritual maturity as well. And I think when we functionally lose the daily prompting and inspiration of the spirit one way or another, however he manifests in that context, then we're really facing an uphill battle at that point. Um, I think that... yeah. We, if I guess what I'm saying is, if you are dying or declining, have you asked for the help of the Holy Spirit to help you navigate that? Is one question. And I'm, and I'm again not just saying a church of three people, I'm saying even a movement of 5,000 down to 3,000. Like, Holy Spirit, what are you, what are you teaching us right now? What do we need to hear from you? What do we need to hear from people? But often, what we do is really put our hands over our ears and just keep going how we've always done it. And I think we need to really on a day-to-day level welcome the leadership of God, really believe that it's his church because it's that doctrine that helps you find peace when you have to close the doors of your church because to your point, it wasn't your church all along. It was God's church. But it's easy as you get too successful, in inverted commas, to start believing it's your church as well. And I just think either way, Tapping into God, the Holy Spirit is key to all of this is my point. Yeah. So I think this, our, our movement, I think, is grappling with the question, are we dying? Mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, but we're prayerful. We're like, I think we're very much seeking the movement of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. in there. We, we had out a guy called Jack Reese who wrote a book called At the Blue Hole, which is all about the death of Church of Christ Church in North America. Um, and I think he was saying, have a gracious funeral, um, which feels hard to hear. But when you unpack his conclusion within his book, one of the things he does is he gives you the history of Churches of Christ in North America and globally and gets to this place where he says, what, what this thing was founded on was a unity movement, a restoration mm. movement, is how do churches of a multitude of different denominations come together, surrendered before Jesus Christ as our pure authority and the 
Bible as our guide as the only framework for everything that we do. So, so, so the pretenses were let's just get rid of all this denominational politics. And yep. if you're on the same page, then you can come together as a church of Christ, despite the fact that we're coming from different denominations and work together. And his conclusion is, is what is the, what is the rebirth look like? It doesn't look like something like that. And if I couldn't agree more with him it, it, is that one of my great joys as a Church of Christ church is partnering up with other like-minded churches in my community, yep. which, by the way, over the course of 10 years of living in this community, I now have great relationships with them. And so I can call them up and say, hey, brother, you want to do a combined worship service together? And they're like, yeah, man, it's been three months. Let's do it. And five churches from five different backgrounds come together and worship together. And God is moving in that room. And so what we started to see within our church is revitalization. Because it's not about us, it's about what God's doing. But here's the thing, is that for two years, I was wondering whether or not I was in palliative care or in a birthing ward. Mm. <laughs> yep. Okay, and so the church I'm in, we're pastoring through a transition. We go from a church of 150 people down to 15. Mm. That is your point of viability for a lot of movements. You're at 15, we close the door, start again. And I'm sitting there and I'm going, we've got resources to have a crack at this. Are we willing to throw mud against the wall and see what sticks? Yep. But as part of that, I'm going to prepare this place for the next planter. Mm. So my goal is to see if we've got a community that's going to be viable and that sits alongside of let's make sure this building is excellent for the next person to plan in if we don't. Yep. Mate, that was hard. Yeah. But then what we start to see is green shoots. Mm. New family comes in. It's easier to go from one to two families than it is to go from zero to one. Mm. And two families and then we get a third family. And we're suddenly like, okay, well, we're seeing families. Families are a big part of our community. Tick that box. How are we doing with retirees? Great. We've got plenty of retirees. Guess what? That's big in our community as well. Tick. Then we go, where are all the young adults? tiny little young adult community because it's $3 million to live in the area. <laughs> they're not here. Yep. They're elsewhere. Okay, well, we don't, we've got some, but they're feeling the need to move on. We'll talk about this next week. Mm-hmm. How, do we, how do we champion them into a place where they can feel fully connected? What I love about what you're saying and the word that comes to my mind is there's security there no matter what. And it's, it, it's important to operate from a position of security in the Lord and in his will, rather than panicky, responsive, desperate. Um, I was even, put it another way, I was thinking about it on the way here. Like, where is the church in Corinth now? Where is the church in Ephesus now? Yeah. Where is the church in Galatia? Where is the church in Thessalonica? History goes through ebbs and flows. And yet, even though I can't point to any of those church buildings or communities, maybe they still exist, I don't know. I think some of those cities don't even exist, for goodness sake. The kingdom is still at work and God is still at work. Well, that church at Thessalonica and Corinth is it's here. It's actually Thessalonica, not it's Thessalonica. Okay, sure, Thessalonica. Um, is here. It's in Belrose. Yeah, right. And therefore, when Belrose or if Belrose shuts, then Belrose will go to insert name here. And so I think operating from... That's why, I, why I'm talking about the Holy Spirit just being so important in all of this that he is the breath that guides us either to closure or restoration or revival or growth or whatever... 
But when we either don't believe that or we've stopped believing it, we panic, we make bad decisions, we double down on our insecurities and it, it just gets ugly really fast. Yeah. I, I, listen, I, I feel full assuredness that God, Jesus, so I'll say Jesus for this one, specifically within the triune, um, <laughs> it's his church. Mm. And I wanted to either do an awesome funeral mm-hmm. that meant that the church that we closed was fully prepared for the next planter to step in. And I was okay with that. Yep. But if in his graciousness, he was going to show revitalization, I'm all for a resurrection yep. and seeing that within our community. And I feel like we're, the season we're in now is we're seeing those green shoots grow and grow and grow and the church is growing. And so we are not at a funeral. We are at a resurrection and it's flipping awesome. I just want to really like 1000% honor you because as you as you told the story of Phoenix to to Mission Church like yeah, anyway, I won't get too soppy, but you've been through a hard season. I just want to say well done for staying the course. No, and, and and being Galatian real 6-9, man. <laughs> and being real along the way. Yeah. It, it, that but that so here's it what so, is Galatians 6, 9? Uh, do not grow weary of doing good. Oh, nice. For at a point in time, you'll yeah, the rest is, reap a yeah, harvest yeah, that yeah, God yeah. has prepared in advance. Um, so can I can I push in more on some of our questions about when should we shut it? Yeah. I think a lot of times churches want to change the world and they can't even impact the corner that they're on. Mm-hmm. So can I? So I'm just going to ask hard questions that I think are healthy to ask. Do you know the neighbours who directly surround your church as a community and their stories. Because if you don't, you have not been impacting the block. Mm. And so one of the things we've said as a community is we just want to impact the corner. I don't care about Bellrose yet. Mm. We just want to have a church that is profoundly impacting in some way, shape or form the street that we exist on. And if we can do that, then we'll go to Belrose. Mm. Okay, we'll t- we'll <laughs> we'll take it suburb wide, baby. <laughs> then, if we can nail that, then let's see if we can hit Sydney. And so that's where we're starting. Is that there is a bigger vision, mm. but the vision starts right here on the corner. From so part of our statement is to live the love of Jesus from here to the horizon. Mm. So we're just here right now, mm. and we're okay with that. And so we have a cafe that's run by a Christian girl that runs it as an evangelistic ministry and suddenly we know the street because mm. guess where they go for a coffee now? Mm. And so we're just like, we're just trying to impact the corner. Um, I think that's a really good question to ask. You want to change the world, but have you impacted your corner yet? Um, and if the answer to that question is no, um, then there's probably a problem. As a leader within the community of the church that you lead, when is the last time that you have shared Jesus with someone? Well, I believe that Jesus is Lord and King in a real way with an individual, not express the love of Jesus, right? Like in a in a way like that's just kind of nebulous. Mm-hmm. Like where, when have you actually kind of shared what you believe? Mm. And if the answer to that question is more than two years ago, there's a real big issue Mm -hmm. because you cannot lead people where you have not journeyed. Mm. That's a North American thing that I got taught. A great saying. 
So, so if the answer to that question is two years ago, then you need to immediately go and share Jesus with someone. We are, we are called to herald the good news of Jesus to a dying community. Yeah. That's a, that's a pretty big missional statement for the church. Yeah. Yeah. The next question I'd ask myself is when did we baptize someone? Mm. And if you haven't baptized someone for years, um, apart from sprinkle smidging the babies that are <laughs> saved in your church. I knew it was coming. Yeah, it was good, isn't it? <laughs> Credo Baptist baby. <laughs> um, that's probably an issue. Mm. Uh so I'll say that, by the way, I don't, I'm not going to draw party lines on this, but let's say you're paedo-baptist and you do confirmation. Paedo-baptist, by the way, is baptizing infants. Okay. If you do confirmation, is that a, is that a full class? Mm. Is there a bunch of teenagers who yep. are in that room who love Jesus? That's great. That's a great indicator that yep. you've got some health going on sure. in the church. It's a very uh, gracious framework. No, but but no. I think that's I think that's a, yeah. a fair a fair comparison. Yep. yep. If you're not a credo guy who who's a baptizing believers, mm. where where really those two things kind of go together, is that the, the other measure is how full is your confirmation class? Mm. Have yep. you run confirmation in a while? Like um, we recently shut down our youth ministry program, and that was a big deal. Mm. But we're sowing a lot of energy into. Uh, pre-teens and children's ministry because that's where we feel like we are right now sure. is that we're, we're growing this children's ministry. You've got no kids in your church. That's a big deal. You've got no youth in your church. That's a big deal. You've got no one in your church under the age of 50. You probably should pause and think, what are we doing wrong? You're yeah. not because that, that wherever you are on some level, that segment is big in your community. And so if you're not asking hard questions, then that's a, that's a big deal. Like what does your prayer life look like is my next question. Are you prayerful? Are you reflective? Are you contemplative? Are you in the word? Are, are you just jumping from fad to fad to try and salvage this thing when maybe the first thing you should do is just fall on your knees, fall on your knees Change the sign out the front from church meeting at 10 a.m. to prayer meeting mm. at 10 a.m. and see if that sparks revival. Mm. And then just spend an hour on Sunday. Because this this is part of the challenge is when a church is in free fall, you can, you can, there's telltale signs, right? Every church says it's really hard to find volunteers on a Sunday. Mm. Um, and that's partially because you've got a lot of places that you've got to fill. But if you get to a place where you just got no one who can play on band, no one who can pray, no one who can lead children's ministry, stop doing those initiatives and get back to a real grassroots movement, okay? And this is your church now. If you're trying to figure out, are, are, we, are we killing this thing? Are we dead? Or are we in rebirth? Your meeting is now just a prayer meeting. Yeah. You don't need volunteers for that. You open the door, you come together, and you pray. You read some scripture, maybe you take some communion. I'm the Church of Christ guy. <laughs> like my communion. And just and your second sermons. But you you don't do a sermon. <gasps> read the Bible, pray, and break bread together. Because mm. because what you need to do is invest in community and breaking bread together is really great. Like morning teas are awesome. 
Like just not with Arrowroot biscuits. Don't don't have a roster. Just say to everyone, it's potluck every week. Yeah. Bring some food. Let's eat together. Let's pray together. And let's read God's word together. You don't don't need to write a sermon. Just let the word speak for itself. Yeah. And now you don't have to worry about any kind of planning. Every Sunday we're just going to pray. Well, yeah. And the difference with what you're saying is it's a it's a how do I put this? It's a breaking down with a view to restoring. Yes, yeah, so, so the big that, thing, and that's it, the, and that's the difference. Yeah, the big thing within our movement is deconstruction, right? Mm. Do we deconstruct the church and make it a cafe? Do we make it something else? It's like, great, show me the cafe church that works. Mm-hmm. And the problem we have is we got a beautiful house church movement in our area, Ruark, and it's growing. Mm. But they got to this size where they're like, we would like to gather together and have a meeting together. Mm. And so they meet at two p.m. at a church just down the hall. Shout out to Matt Gildon, great pastor, love that guy. But their church got was so good at doing a house church model, everyone wanted to meet together in a public worship service. <laughs> so guess what they do? They do big church on a Sunday and then they have great small groups. Yep. But he got to a place where he's like, we actually need a place to meet and have a worship service. It's yep. like, so even churches that have deconstructed to a point of having a house church sure. model are now saying, well, we want to come together and worship. So I've been saying with our movement, Sunday church is really important. And I like to have that expression. The reconstruction for me is I also have a cafe and I also do a mental health course and I also do a public facing children's playgroup style ministry thing. My question is church and what? Mm -hmm. Because that service is really great for building bridges within our community and we're seeing a lot of growth in it. Does it have to continue to be a Methodist-style, evangelical, Lutheran conglomeration of the last 300 years? Maybe. Are there elements that need to go? Potentially. But I still want to worship. I still want to read from Scripture. Yeah. And I still want to pray. Mm. Those elements I want to keep. Yep. I don't know what the shape of that looks like. Um, I was talking with a brother about the idea of moving our sermons to what we do now, podcast style. Because I look at the data for this, I go 8,000 people have listened to our podcast. 700 people over the last six years have listened to our sermons. Yep. It's not impacting people the same way. Yep. As this is. Yeah. And they're the kind of questions that I think church leaders and members need to ask more of is where is where is the tide going and, and what are the I mean what you're raising is what are the non-negotiables, what are the what's the core business and what are the things that, you know, can can have a nice funeral but but die graciously. Yep. Yeah. Uh we're at fifty minutes, so we should wrap up. The one question I'd say when you're thinking about a church and is it in decline is what was the time that you felt most deeply connected to this place mm. and in love with your church? That's a really important question to ask um, because if you have to think a while and it's a few years back, mm. then there's some stuff that you might need to invest into that mm. community. Okay, that's good. Uh, stay tuned next week. We will talk about if you're an individual and you feel like it's time to, to move church or you're wondering how do you navigate that well. So stay tuned for part two of this conversation.